Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. At the end of the episode, we are switching it up. Today, we are not doing trying to say Ghostland. That's what we've been doing for the last six or seven weeks. It's what we should be doing, but it is late on Thursday night. I just got done doing jiu-jitsu with my wife, my 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu in Whittier. That was awesome. It's getting late. No time for either one of us to be reading you a story tonight. Instead, I have something even cooler. I was like, what, what story would fit with how I'm feeling right now? I was like, oh, I remember. Mutual Understanding, that's off of Somber Stroll. Somber Stroll is only five short stories. I think you get it free some places, sometimes on Amazon. I'm not sure. You could check or it's 99 cents. Audiobook is super cheap too. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll share that story because it's jujitsu related. And so once I made that decision, I was starting to look it up. I'm like, who even read that story? But then I remembered that my good friend Donna Gonzalez recorded the story. She narrated it, did an awesome job. She's an awesome black belt under Eddie Bravo down at 10th Planet South Bay. She also does the 10th Planet Women's Jiu-Jitsu stuff. Awesome. She recorded this. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. But first, all right, why Jiu-Jitsu? I've been talking about how much I've been enjoying it. This week, yeah, I trained. I only went to open mat on Sunday, and then I trained twice. Once yesterday with Coach Mike, once with Coach Art, tonight with my wife. Both were awesome. It's cool what you get, different things from different coaches. But both classes were cool, felt great. My knee's feeling good. Like, I'm definitely never going to be 100% with this knee until I get a fix if I ever do. But that's okay because I'm feeling fine. I'm not feeling like I'm doing anything dangerous. One of the things that sucks is while everyone else is doing warm-ups, like doing all these different drills, in-and-out drills, and just going around in a circle, I just have to run straight because I can't fuck around with my knee. I could do other stuff. I could try to do hand, uh, cartwheels. And I could, not that I do them great, but I try them. And I could do lots of the other moves. But uh, yeah, I'm not willing to risk stuff on my feet like that. But still able to get an awesome workout. And that's what's great. And that's what the coaches want. They want everyone to go to their ability. They don't want you doing things that are going to hurt you. Like definitely try to do things. Don't not do things out of embarrassment because you don't know if you can. But if you have a limitation, definitely don't go past that limitation uh, and modify stuff. So that has been cool. One of the things I got excited about was seeing my buddy, Michael Plaster. He stopped by on Open Man. I only talked to him for a little bit, but he's an awesome photographer. I was telling him about uh, my buddy Carl and his book and then how Carl had also just taken all these awesome photos of myself, my wife, son, and daughter, and so many other people from our gym and how I was going to use those photos for a little project called, I'm going to call it our jiu-jitsu journey. And just put it out as a little ebook, one chapter at a time. This first one is just going to be Carl's photos. And then another old friend showed up, Mike Hopper. He took photos of that one and was filming Coach Mike in the class. Then he shot stuff later in the day. Uh, but I was talking to him about it. I said, dude, that'd be awesome to be able to do something together. And I was thinking even just his photos that he took on that day yesterday, that might even be episode two of our book. And then the different episodes might be going to different gyms. Who knows? I'd love to go train with Donna. I think the whole family would love to go train with Donna and her team. So that'd be awesome to go down there. Maybe that'll be episode three. I don't know. So <clears throat> that's what I want to do. I want to make it just be something fun. Like we're going to be there anyhow. 
I'm going to talk to these people anyhow. How cool would it be to get these cool photos? And then I'll think about it later and be like, oh, yeah, this is where we are right now individually in our journey. This is where these different people are in their journey. Here's what these black belts have to say about it. Here's what I don't know. I don't know exactly how it's going to develop or what the end product will be. I just think it's cool. It's definitely not something I think my fans want. Most of them are probably not sure why I do jiu-jitsu or can see why I would want to. But I don't know. I'm doing it for myself. And then if anyone that is into jiu-jitsu would appreciate it, that'd be cool too. Uh, I think it'd be cool to go to different gyms where whole families train. I mean, I don't know if the I don't know if the focus is gonna be just families doing jujitsu. That might be cool, but I think I just want to know why we're doing jujitsu, you know, our jujitsu journey. So we shall see. But I got so many other fucking things going on. Um yeah, even uh, Derek the Demon just last night uh, started out as a joke. Uh, I was like, okay, I'll film a little something with Derek the Demon. And I was like, okay, maybe he's writing something. And then I, I forget what it was. It was like 500 Years of Burning in Hell, My Life as a Demon by Derek the Demon. But he was stuck and he couldn't get past that page. So I filmed a little thing, put it on YouTube and shared it. But then different fans were saying, you should write that. I'd buy that. I'd want to hear that. So I think that would be kind of fun to write just from his point of view. Just pretend I'm Derek and write a little short story. And again, maybe it's just a small little short story that I put out as a free reader magnet or something like that. Who knows? Or or short ebook that I put out on Amazon. But that's another possibility of what I would do if I had limitless time. Um, yeah, maybe I'll do short things like that. Like those are doable. The jiu-jitsu thing. That is definitely doable because it's going to be short bursts of energy. It's not going to be a huge time suck. It'd be figuring out what photos I want to do, what story I want to tell, and just put it out. So that one isn't a big deal. This thing I'm talking about wouldn't be a big deal. But still, it's like I still got a lot of shit to do. I still haven't finished back at Grandma's house. I looked at it today when I went into the sauna for like 15 minutes because I didn't have enough time because I had to go get the kids. But... That's all right. A lot of stuff this week on the writing side of things has all been business. It's all been thinking about the Frankfurt Book Festival. It's all uh, been trying to set up appointments, send off all those emails. We'll see which publishers are interested. I think I have a good product, whether or not they think I do. We'll see. So I got all that done. Another thing we did today was check to see if there was anywhere in the Frankfurt area that has no gi jiu-jitsu during the times that my daughter and I would be able to train. I already asked my daughter, I said, hey, if we could fit it in, would you want to go train jiu-jitsu one night? I was like, we just sneak out a little bit early. Nico could finish the, you know, run the booth for the last hour. We'll just go train. And she said, yeah. So I was like, all right, let's just see if we can find anyone. I was like, the odds of finding a no-gi school, you know, or someone that offers no-gi at that time might be hard to find. But my wife did a quick search and found us a place to train, which is awesome. So yeah, when I go, we will be training jiu-jitsu. All right, guys, like I said, I'm exhausted. I need to wrap this thing up. I appreciate you guys listening. I think you will enjoy this story. I tried to make it as realistic as possible. I wanted to make it believable. I think it definitely is. We'll see what you guys think. But more importantly, hope you enjoy it. I will talk to you guys next week. Hopefully, we will be back reading Trying to Stay at Ghostland. Oh, I do have it up on ACX right now for trying to find the perfect narrator. Already had a lot of auditions. Need to go through those. And then I will turn over the best 10 that I like to Duncan. And I'll let him decide from there. So... 
that is what is going on. Maybe we'll read it next week. Maybe we won't. I think you guys will be all right, especially for sharing stories like this. All right, guys, this is Mutual Understanding by my good friend, Donnie Gonzalez. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you later. Peace. Mutual understanding. The concrete circle lies between here and the little kids' playground, three flat benches and a patch of grass separating them, the climbing structure straight ahead, the infectious laughter drawing my attention. But I've seen how quickly the joyous peels can twist into terror, the soft, cushy ground not absorbing the fall, parents sprinting at me in a 40-yard dash, screaming for ice, telling me to hurry, do something looking at me like I'm the one that told their kid to go play up there, like I had something to do with constructing it. That playground's been here since before me. All we own are the bleachers and everything in this shack, which cost plenty. That doesn't even include the rent we pay the city. Karen reminds us every single day, jumping on either Ryan or me the moment we walk through the door, asking us how much we sold just so she can tell us it didn't come close to covering the cost of our wages. We've been open for business for four months, and things aren't panning out the way Ryan had predicted. Dad's worried we'll have to shut down before summer. School ended a little over an hour ago, but most kids are probably staying inside to keep warm. If I'm lucky, I'll sell a couple dozen waters and maybe a hot chocolate or two. But even with the little rush that always follows baseball practice, None of that will make a dent in what we're down. Last person to buy anything was that girl in the green yoga pants. She's pushing that chubby toddler in the swing one-handed so she can scroll through her phone. The kid doesn't mind the lack of attention, a giant grin plastered on his face, the wind whipping through his curls. She looks a few years older than me, maybe college, so I'm guessing babysitter, not mother. But either way, at least she brought him. Karen has never come here with Derek, and we live across the street. Mom loved this park. The birds, the trees, the laughter, everything about it. We were here every day of the year, rain or shine, and Mom took photos to prove it. Most of them are just me, but some with her in them too on the days Dad joined us. Her favorite was when I was four, standing on that middle bench, whistling to the Blue Jay on my shoulder. My favorite is when I was eight and we were cuddled on the grass a week or two before the chemo. Lots of photos were captured in this circle, sporting roller skates and protective gear in the winter, a swimsuit for all of summer. The six-foot-high pole in the center hasn't sprayed water for the last five years. There used to be a sign that read, no riding toys, no running. It might as well have said, go ahead and fall off the monkey bars but don't you dare trip on the concrete. The new sign is ours. Something dad special ordered. Four words that cost $100. Reserved for mutual understanding. A couple of kids are clomping up and down the bleachers to the right of the circle. Freddy, the homeless guy who sleeps in our shack most nights, is bundled up in his sleeping bag beneath the bleachers to the left. Most of the mothers and nannies are gathered around the benches with their backs to me. The only person facing the shack is the bald guy on the front bench. Every Tuesday and Thursday, he visits with his preschool daughter, a tiny blonde girl with glasses. I've never really seen him play with her, 
Usually he just hands her a tablet and she's glued to the device while he scopes out the area. The shack often one of his main interests. The squeal of tires makes everyone turn as a sporty black car swerves onto Cherry, crossing the median headed straight for the playground. The driver whips the car around and screeches to a halt against the curb, parked the wrong way. Another squeal, this time a filthy 4x4 truck. The first driver, clad in all black, gets out and walks straight through the playground headed right for me. The truck slams on its brakes, but not in time, its metal bumper shattering the car's taillights. The driver doesn't react, just keeps walking toward me. With the hoodie on, I can't tell it's a female until she reaches the concrete circle. The guy who jumped down from the truck has on jeans and a bright red jersey. He slams his door and storms through the playground. Surrounded by children, nearly every one of them staring, the guy shouts, Where the fuck do you think you're going? The woman, pretty and probably late 20s, doesn't pay him any mind as she approaches the counter with a smile. The truck driver pauses between two of the benches, his wide shoulders making me think he might still play football. I'm talking to you, you little faggot. She shrugs off the hood and shakes out the brown hair that just brushes her shoulders. From across the circle, he shouts, Oh, so because you're a chick, you get away with whatever you want? I offer to call the cops, but she says no. She's cool and collected, but too much, like maybe she's in shock. Makeup covers most of the black eye, but not her oddly curved nose or the faded scar on her forehead. I figure she had her own phone, but hold up mine just in case. Do you want me to call? Nope, just a bottle of water, please. The big guy wasn't going away. Come on, you were so tough earlier. You can't even look at me. The woman pulls something from her wallet. Nodding at her face and keeping my voice down, I ask, Did he do that to you? She shakes her head. I don't even know this guy. He forces a laugh. (laughs) What are you doing? You gonna call the cops? Go for it, you little fucking liar. Aiming some hate my way, he says, What's that little cunt telling you? Oh, the water. I disappear beneath the counter, think of grabbing my pepper spray from my purse, but just come up with her bottle. The woman pays with a 20, but when I hand her back three fives, she won't take them. She flashes a sly smile and whispers, put it on me. I'm sorry, I don't. The woman steps to the side and slides her yellow card into the mutual machine. A series of loud whoops blare from above as the yellow strobe light on the roof is activated. The computer reads, Sarah Torres, 32-58-135-B. Everything seems in slow motion. The guy yells something I can't hear with my hands over my ears. The whooping stops after five seconds. The first two rows of both bleachers nearly full. A line of women face me from the side of the benches, some standing on top, the children beside them. I drop the cash on the counter and call dad. He answers on the second ring, asks if everything's okay. The bald guy comes up to the counter, asking the woman something about training. Into the phone, I say, yeah, so far, someone's thrown down their card. It sounds like dad is trying not to get too excited. Just one? Yeah, a lady. The guy in the jersey is at the far end of the circle talking on the phone, waving off the group of skateboarders gathering round. Make sure everything's recording. I'll check the feed on my end. Remember, five minutes if they agree. Reaching up, I hit the red record and then the blue streaming buttons. It's on. Dad, can you find Ryan? There are a lot of people here. 
Sure, sure, sure. I'll get him down there right away, Dad promised. Don't worry, honey. I'm patched in and everything looks great. I'll open up the boards as soon as we get confirmation. I don't want to ruin his excitement, but say, if she challenged a guy? Well, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Must be game. Go, honey, handle business. You got this. As I hang up, Sarah turns to the guy. How long are you going to make these good people wait? I'm not going against a girl. I'm not a girl. This is fucking ridiculous. He turns and starts toward the benches, a wall of people blocking his path. Now it's Sarah's turn to yell, her voice still under control. Figured you for chicken shit. Spreading her arms, she presents him to the crowd. This, boys and girls, is a bona fide coward. He spins around and steps into the circle. Fine. You want to do this? Let's do this. Sarah moves to the other side of the counter and gestures to the machine. Then how about you stop blabbering and insert your card? He pulls out his wallet and rifles through it. I, I don't even know if I have it with me. Without the slightest hesitation, Sarah points at me and says, She can sell you a replacement. Hell, I'll even pay for it. He locks eyes with Sarah. You're nuts. I'm not fighting some psycho bitch. The baseball team joins the crowd. And now, no less than two dozen cameras are catching every angle. Sarah says, Go ahead and let the coward leave. But make sure you get a good look at his license plate. I'll have to report him for the hit and run. He doesn't say a word. Just heads straight for the machine and shoves in his yellow card. Nothing. I walk over and glance at it. It's upside down. The crowd bursts into laughter, calls him dumb shit, moron, a dozen different names. His cheeks match his shirt by the time he gets it right. Another set of whoops signaling a mutual understanding. Gerald Marin, 25-61-210-A. This is so stupid, he says, probably more to himself than me. I don't want to fight some girl. Pointing to the timer counting down on the wall, you still have time to cancel. From just a few feet away, Sarah snickers. <laughs> you mean chicken out. Gerald won't look at her, just calls her a psycho bitch. She says, yep, must be true if you keep saying it. The 60 second cooling off period is almost over. I give them one last chance to back out, then press the button that posts all the details to the shack's billboard. The bald dad squeezes in front of Gerald so he can be first to place his bet. At least a dozen others line up behind him to use the machine. The rest of the counter is filled, people calling out orders, not bothering with a line. Sarah takes the ripe bleachers as her side. The crowd cheers for her, giving her space to take off her sweatshirt. Clad in all black except for the white swoosh of her Nikes, Sarah bends down and says something to the little girl with glasses sitting in the front row. The girl nods and Sarah lays her sweatshirt across the girl's lap. Gerald looks over the mob and catches my eye. What did she say? It was taking all I had to get everyone's order and change right. I simply shake my head. The back door unlocks and Ryan walks in, breathing heavily. Holy shillies. <laughs> he takes it all in. This is for real. Cherry is stopped with cars. Gerald raises his voice. What did she tell you? Ryan says, Hey man, we got a job to do. Only 19, but never one to be intimidated, Ryan nods at the left bleachers. So do you. Gerald backs off, and Ryan and I continue to take care of the customers. With two minutes still left on the timer, everyone is back in their places, 
snacks torn open, popcorn spilling. Ryan wraps me up in a huge hug. Oh, I can't wait to rub this in Karen's bitchy little face. 10,000 just for hosting this. Gerald stands outside the circle, cracking his knuckles and moving his head side to side like he's checking for a clunking sound. Sarah is inside the circle doing slow, deep squats, her eyes trained on Gerald the entire time. I tell Ryan, I don't think I want to watch. He has both hands on the counter, beaming as he soaks in the scene he dreamed of. Yeah, of course. Why don't you get the ice and bandages ready? Sarah rolls her neck in every direction while pumping her arms back and forth across her chest. Gerald shakes his legs out and keeps on knuckle cracking. Sarah raises her right hand overhead and shows us her red card. Staring at Gerald but speaking to everyone, she says, Let's make this more interesting. The crowd roars. Stomping their feet, the bleach are shaking. Gerald doesn't say a word, his face hard to read. Sarah practically bounces over to the machine and replaces her yellow card with the red one. She returns to the bleachers to the sound of three blasts of the air horn. You're insane, Gerald says. I'm not doing this. The teenagers in the swelling crowd grow hostile, tearing into him with names none of the children need to hear. Fuck you. Fuck all of you. The crowd does not relent with their calls of cowardice. Sarah says, Okay, let's change that billboard. Make the odds on whether this little pussy leaves. I got 50 that says he splits. Yellow tail between his shaved legs. Fine. You guys want it? I'll give it to you. Gerald stomps over and gets out his red card. You saw she started this, he says to me. She's begging for it. I don't say a word. Just watch him slide his card into the reader. I cover my ears for three more blasts, watching the red strobe light activate and reflect off the concrete. Another wave of people is lined up for the machine. Gerald shucks off his jersey, a white tank top underneath, tattoos on each swollen arm. Sarah walks over to me, appearing confident, not considering backing down. She hands me her wallet. There's just about $500 in here, 13 to 1 odds. Put it all on me and we'll split it. Dad would have pointed out that half of nothing is nothing, but that's all I have to lose. Plus, I don't want to ruin the confidence Sarah has built up. I ask Sarah if she's sure, and she nods, slipping in a red mouthpiece and heading back to her spot. Ryan shakes my shoulder. Hey, what are you waiting for? He grabs the money and runs around to get in line for the machine. The bet placed, he hands me the slip with less than 20 seconds left on the clock. There isn't a cloud in the sky, but the air feels electric, like it's about to storm. Nearly everyone is on their feet, the noise louder than any game I've ever been to. I'm going to stay right here, Ryan tells me. He leans over the counter and presses the button to lower the pole, the sign sliding down through the drain. Elise, you don't need to see this. I want to agree to face the back wall, but just like everyone else, I'm drawn to the circle. All betting is now closed, Ryan shouts. Combatants, take your places. Gerald's work boots clunk onto the concrete, his fists by his sides. Sarah turns to the little girl in glasses and gives her an almost imperceptible nod. The girl smiles at Sarah and then buries her face in the sweatshirt. Sarah bends over and reties her shoes, tucking in the strings. She enters the circle and Ryan gives me the nod to blow the last air horn. Gerald stays right where he is. Sarah advances, crouched down like she's in a martial arts movie. I don't watch MMA as much as Ryan, 
but from the way she glides like a snake sizing up prey, even I can tell she's trained. Only problem is, Gerald's being one and a half times her size. The ridiculousness of this woman closing in on the much heftier man becomes a little less ridiculous with each measured step. Gerald brings his fist to his chin and stands his ground, looking like he might try and tackle her. The crowd quiets as Sarah passes the center of the circle. She jumps in and out of his striking distance, but Gerald never bites. Sarah's third time in, she steps diagonally to the left, blasts the inside of his knee with a vicious kick, knocking his leg out wide, the crowd roaring approval. Gerald tries to regain his balance, but Sarah's jab cross connect with his nose. She follows with a hook, but Gerald drops his chin, her fist glancing off the top of his head. Sarah jumps back, clutching her hand. Gerald leaps in and just misses with a haymaker. Sarah shoots a sidekick directly to his kneecap. Gerald cries out, limps after her. You fucking cheater! Sarah smiles around her mouthpiece and does it again, her heel slamming into the front of his knee. Gerald grimaces as he puts that leg behind him out of her reach, but Sarah closes the distance, lifts his left ankle, and pushes his chest. Gerald spins his arms to brace for the landing, barely stops the back of his head from bouncing off the concrete. Sarah's still standing, crouched over him, her left foot crushing his crotch, her arms trapping his ankle to her side. She falls to that side and lands on the shoulder, both her legs keeping Gerald's leg pinned. With a deep grip around his ankle and the boot trapped behind her armpit, Sarah presses her belly to the concrete and arches her back. Gerald yelps, sits up as far as he can and slams his fist into Sarah's shin. Sarah shifts her hips and switches her legs so her outside leg is over his. He tries wrenching her off, but she has it figure forward with her bottom leg. With his leg bent at that odd angle and his foot trapped on her hip, Gerald can't do much. He throws a backhand, but she ducks under it, his heel caught in the crook of her elbow as she takes it with the leverage of her whole torso all the way onto her far shoulder. I tell myself that pop was just his jeans tearing but the scream says it was probably a ligament. Gerald grabs hold of Sarah's arm and pulls himself on top of her, pinning her top leg down. His left hand finds her throat and squeezes. Sarah knocks off the choking hand, but doesn't see the punch that cracks her upside the head. There's blood beneath her. She keeps moving, deflecting the next two punches off her forearm. Sarah sits up and hugs Gerald close, bringing them back down. The moment his hands hit the concrete, Sarah brings her shin high on his back, over his shoulder, and under his chin. Ryan shouts, Oh, fuck! An omoplata! Sarah sits up and wraps her arms around Gerald's neck. Gerald strains to get away, like a dog on a leash, his face smashed into the concrete, his arm riding further up his back. He bursts forward and breaks Sarah's grip, drags her underneath him, and drops all his weight. Sarah grunts loudly, but never stops scrambling. Getting her feet on his hips and then locking her legs behind his back, Gerald reaches back to throw a right hand and Sarah launches her body at his left arm that's braced on the ground. They start to tip over, but Gerald slams his hand back to the concrete. Sarah ducks beneath his armpit, sliding around to his back. Now Sarah has a foot wrapped around the front of each of Gerald's legs and fought to get an arm around his throat. Gerald tucks his chin and pushes off with his feet, throwing them into the middle of the circle, Sarah's head banging off the drain. Keeping his weight pushing down on her chest, Gerald throws a blind punch over his shoulder. 
a meaty thud that smacks Sarah square in the mouth. The sound of sirens grows louder than the crowd, but doesn't silence them. The sirens come closer and closer. As Sarah hides her head from the punches, Gerald's knuckles bloody from the misses that connect with the concrete. Everyone is so absorbed with the fight, I'm the only one that notices the police cruiser tearing through the parking lot and slam on its brakes just feet from the back of the bleachers. The cop bursts out of the car, pistols drawn, yelling at everyone to clear out of his way as he pushes toward the circle. Sarah's face is a red smear, and she's flat on her back, but looks safe. Her legs wrapped around Gerald's neck and right arm, his left in no position to do any damage. Gerald's face is purple when the cop bursts through the crowd and lunges into the circle. Gun aimed at Sarah's head, the cop shouts, Release him! Now! The crowd boos, but Ryan holds up his hand to quiet them. Pointing at the two red cards in the reader, Ryan addresses the officer. He agreed to an advanced mutual understanding. Those two are the only ones who can stop it. The cop doesn't take his eyes off Sarah. I said now! Sarah glances at the cop, but can't seem to take in what he's saying. Ryan urges her. Go on, he can't stop this. Ryan cites the lot of the cop, swears they'll make a citizen's arrest, and sue if the city continues to interfere. The officer lowers his gun, but only a bit. That man's a police officer. Sarah takes a deep breath through her nose as blood trickles from her bottom lip that's torn in two. Speaking around her mouthpiece, she says, Not in here! Gerald takes advantage of the distraction and drops to his side, freeing space around his neck. Instead of fighting to get back under him, Sarah swivels on top, her legs still triangling his head and arm. In complete control, Sarah sits back on his chest, a steady stream of her blood falling on the forearm that tries to hide his face. The cop yells at me to do something, to shut it all down, but Ryan says that isn't going to happen. This is all on video, and you're trespassing. Get out of the circle. Sarah spit out her mouthpiece and hits Gerald's cheek. Or stay there and you can go next. Gerald peeks from around his forearm and whispers, Please. Sarah shakes her head and slams her elbow down on his forearm. The crowd roars. She does it again and again. An explosion of applause accompanies each strike. It looks like his forearm breaks on the sixth shot. I stop watching after two more, but I hear the thuds keep coming, becoming wetter. The cheers die down until finally, no one utters a sound. There's only her breathing, ragged, like an animal. An animal not to be messed with.